Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, check out our website at freechapel.org. Have your Bibles, open them up with me for a few moments this morning. I want to go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. I'm going to read a few places, but I want to go to James chapter 1 first. And then I'm going to go to 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to share with you just a teaching today, thoughts around something that's, that, that is very um, important when it comes to our faith and having an understanding as part of our faith and our walk with God. And I'm going to talk to you this morning about trials. Trials. I didn't get no response. Pastor Ben was the only one. He said, amen. It's all right. All I need is two, two or three, Jesus said, to touch and agree. So I know he's here. Pastor Ben's got my back for the rest of you. They didn't like that. I said trials. They said, ooh. But, but I'm going to declare in Jesus' name, you're going to think different at, by the end of this message. James chapter 1 says this in verse 1. James, a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. My brethren, notice who he's talking to. My brethren, that includes sisterin too, okay? He's not just talking to men. Talking to believers. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 6 in the New Living Translation. Notice this. Now, that was James. Now, notice Peter. Here's another apostle talking about the the same subject. So be truly glad. Peter's like a little bit more chippier than Jonathan. He's like, so be truly glad. Listen to this. There is a wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure many trials for a little while, these trials show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far far more precious than mere gold, So when your faith remains strong through many trials, notice that, it will bring you praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. And I'm going to stop right there. And I'm going to talk to you. I gave it this title, and, and, and you'll see why in just a moment as I share this story. I call it When Trees Have Trials. When trees have trials. In the, in the Bible, oftentimes we read uh, that believers or followers of Christ or the people of God are often compared or likened to certain things. One of which that we find is very common, especially in the New Testament, is sheep. The Bible said, my sheep know my voice and a stranger they will not follow. We refer to Jesus as our great shepherd, uh, our chief shepherd, our good shepherd, the scripture says. Even in the book of Psalms, it says that we are the sheep of 
his pasture. But outside of sheep, probably one of the next um, typologies that is often used to describe followers of Christ or people of the faith is trees, trees. The Bible says in Psalms 1, it talks about blessed is the man who walked not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor uh, stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and he meditates in it day and night. And then it says, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of living water, and he shall bear fruit. His leaf shall not wither, and whatsoever he does, the scripture said, it shall prosper. Psalms 92 tells us that it said the righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. The righteous shall flourish. And then it says they shall endure long like the cedars of Lebanon. There's another type of picture. Cedars of, cedars of Lebanon. Palm trees. Trees being planted. I was reading this article a couple weeks ago. And um, it really grabbed my attention because it was very interesting and kind of stirred in my heart this thought for today. It was talking about a museum in Colorado. And in this particular museum, it had some facts and some writings and gave out some information about certain types of trees. One of which was what they called the white trunk aspen tree. And it said this, that an entire grove, if they, they should have a picture of one. If you don't know what it looks like, they'll put one up. It's what it kind of looks like. They're white trunk. There's a reason why they call it white trunk, because the trunk is white. And so the bottom of it is white. But it said these, listen to these facts about this. It says an entire grove of slender white trunk aspens can grow from a single seed and share the same root system. In other words, a whole grove of these trees like that, that you see in that picture, they can grow from one single seed and also share the same root system. I told the early morning service, I said, it's amazing that you can get a grove out of one seed. It's, you can count the seeds that are in a tree, but you can't count how many trees are in a seed. Isn't that awesome? But then it goes on to say this as they share the same root system. But listen to this. These root systems can exist for thousands of years, whether or not they produce trees. In other words, it said they sleep underground. So thousands of years and long time passed by and this root system is developed underground, but you would never know it. You can never see it. It would not be apparent to the eyes. But but if you're walking in this area underneath your feet and underneath a ground could be a major root system being established. That is the foundation of aspen trees. But now watch this. The article said that they sleep. Speaking of the root systems underground, watch this, waiting for fire, waiting for a flood or waiting for an avalanche to clear space for them in the shady forest. Notice that. Why is that important? Watch this. After a natural disaster has cleared the land, aspen roots can sense the sun at last. Mm. And then the roots send up saplings which become trees. Isn't that something? In other words, for aspens trees to have, for aspens, new growth is made possible by devastation or natural disaster. 
In other words, all of that potential, all of that purpose lied beneath the ground, underneath the ground, never to be seen, never to be known, never to be experienced. Only until a natural disaster, only to fire comes, only, only until till, till, till fire or it said an avalanche or a flood comes to so disrupt that ground to clear space that th then, then through that devastated ground, I love it, it said then it senses the sun. When it senses the sun, now it breaks forth and break through. And what was what used to be not seen is now seen. But it all became it came about as a result of a disaster. In other words, something good came out of something that seemingly was so bad. Something great was birthed out of something that was so devastating. Who would have thought that it said that part of the growing process to get these trees to, to reach the potential by which they were designed and created for. Not that it had to have nice weather all the time. Not that it had to have someone out there watering it daily. No, no, no. When hard times hit the trees, that's when they begin to grow. That's when they begin to flourish. That's when they begin to stand up. That's when they begin to be what they were designed to be. And I want to say to you this morning, the Bible said that we're like trees. And when I read that, James just came to me so strong because as it is for the aspen trees, so it is for the trees of the saints of God and God's people in the house of God and followers of Jesus Christ. I know hard times come. I know struggles come. I know trials come. But the aspen tree teaches us this morning that some of your greatest blessings, some of your greatest breakthroughs, some of your greatest miracles are going to come out of some of your hardest struggles and hardest times. What you thought was going to kill you is actually going to burst something new through you. I need you to give him a great big praise this morning. Devastation became the breeding ground for the miraculous to take place and birth something great and significant in the life of the trees. This is what John, what James was encouraging his people that he was writing to. It said that James came to his people and he said this to who were facing many trials, who were facing many difficulties. It actually said, and I was reading and studying, it said some of them had lost their homes. Some of them had lost businesses and jobs. They were separated from their families. Some of them even had to, the, the persecution became so bad, they had to flee from their lives. In other words, these were not just mere inconveniences. They were facing trials, hardships, and struggles. But God sent the man of God, James, to his body of believers to bring them a word of hope and encouragement. And he comes to them and say, and I love it. He didn't come to just give them a little pep talk. But I believe he came with such an unction. Because after he understood and had an understanding. 
he was able to come with a passion and say, I didn't just come to give you a little word and give you a little encourage, but I come to give you a revelation of what's really happening in your life. And the Bible said that when he came to them, he said this, the Bible said, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. What I want to show you, notice he said, count it all joy when. Notice he didn't say if. He said when. In other words, it's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. In other words, trials will come. Struggles will come. Jesus said in John 16:33, "In me you might have peace, but in the world you should have tribulation." Paul said it like this in Acts 14:22. He said, "Through many tribulations, you we will enter the kingdom of God." And he's talking about believers. I want to tell you this morning, yes, I believe in a God that is almighty and all powerful and all strong. But the reality of it is I, I would do you a disservice this morning to tell you that because you are saved and you're following Christ and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, that life is going to be a cakewalk. I'm here to tell you that life will hand you some stuff. We'll hand you some trials. We'll hand you situations that you have to endure. But I want to encourage you this morning because I love what C.S. Lewis said. He was asked this question. Why do the righteous go through trials and suffering? You know what his response was? Why not? They're the only ones who can take it. He said they're the only ones who could take it. See, it's one thing to have to deal with life all by yourself outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And friend, I have been there before. It is the worst place that you could ever be. But even when you're in Christ, I tell you, it doesn't make you immune to opposition, but it feels a whole lot better to know that I have the, come on, I have Jesus Christ that is with me. He's walking with me even through the valley of the shadow of death. And no matter what I face or go through, he's with me he didn't say if he said when and notice he said it was various trials the nature of trials may vary some trials come just because you know we're humans and life hands you some things sickness comes accidents come disappointments come trials also come I want to say this just because you're a believer the Bible teaches that Timothy put it like this, all who desire to live godly, watch this, shall suffer persecution. Godliness will always attract opposition. Ooh, I'm going to say that again. Living godly will always attract opposition. You have an adversary that hates you. You have a devil that wants to steal, kill, and destroy you. And when you choose to live godly and live holy and live righteous, don't think he's just going to sit back and let life be easy. But the scripture says this. What is my, the Christian's response when I fall into various trials? James said you need to count it all joy. This was the apostles attitude in the book of Acts. The Bible said they were stoned and they laughed and rejoiced that they could even have a little bit of suffering in comparison to what Christ went through. Paul even said it like this in Romans 5. He said, I glory in my tribulations. But, but, but can I be real this morning? When, when you're going through a little something, something, imagine what these people felt up until this point. 
What do you mean count it all joy? James, have you lost your mind? Do you not see what I'm going through? Do you not see what I'm up against? Do you not see what I'm facing? How can I count it all joy? There's a key phrase in this where it says count it. Can I teach a little bit and I'm going to get there. The key phrase is count it. That word count it or phrase means to consider, to have a change of mind. Here it is. It's to view from a different perspective. In other words, when I'm facing trials for the believer, my posture is to hit them head on. Watch this. I face them head on. Watch this. I pray through them from the bottom up. I'm down here looking up to God, praying to God. But watch this. But I look at them from the top down. In other words, I get God's perspective about what I'm going through. I get God's view and will about what I'm facing. And when he said, count it, he said, I need you to change your perspective. I want to show you a different way of looking at this. I want to give you a new revelation of the situation that you're facing. I want to give you God's perspective. And he said, this is God's perspective. Knowing this, knowing what, James? That the trials that I'm facing, here it is. The testing of my faith produces patience. Let patience have its great work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. When he said, wait a minute, I need you to understand this. This is what you have to know. This is the revelation that you have to have. You have to know that trials are not working against me, but these trials are actually working for me. Trials are not my enemies. In reality, they're your best friends. Trials shouldn't be viewed as intruders in my life. They should be looked at as guests in my life. He said, I want you to know what you thought was killing you, what you thought was taking you out, what you thought was pulling you down what you thought was setting you back in reality from God's perspective this is actually working for you I know it don't seem like it now I know it don't feel like it now I know you can't see your way out but you can rest assured that God says I am using this not to kill you but to bless you but to raise you and take you to the next level you got to know that you got to know that God loves you you got to know that God is for you you got to know that God is with me and he'll never leave me nor forsake me so no matter what hardship what struggle what trial what adversity what challenge what obstacle what hurdle what valley I have to go through when it's all said and done James said this is going to work out for my benefit I need to give get 10 people to give me a shout of praise and I'm going to move on I know you thought it was coming to kill you I know you felt like it was that somebody walked in this morning and said if I don't hear something today if I don't receive a word today if God don't do something in my life today I feel like I'm gonna lose it but you came to the right service this morning because you're not gonna lose it you're not gonna give up you're not gonna quit and you're not gonna die but you're gonna live and declare the works of the Lord because you know that this is not designed to kill you it's designed to make you you got to know that there's a purpose for my trial when Peter said watch this he when he said which is to try you 
it's actually translated in its original writing, which is taking place for you. And the emphasis is not on what's happening to you, but what the trial is doing for you. Understand my proper response is to rejoice. I can rejoice because this is come, this working for my benefit. Now, if there's a proper response, there's an improper response. Murmuring, complaining, upset, grumpy, negative, complaining. Why? Why? See, this is what happened to the children of Israel. See, God, God said, I have a promised land for you. God said there's a place that is flowing with milk and honey. I've, I've already set up the territory that you're going to take. It's got your name on it. It's waiting on you. But the Bible said that, see, 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 we're more caught up in the promise, but God is more focused on the process. Because, see, when he said he, that he began to take them through the wilderness, the Bible said they began to complain. Moses, why are we doing this, Moses? And why are we going out here? Did you take us out here to die? Did you look, 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 we don't have no food. We up here drinking water out of rocks. We are trying to believe for stuff to fall from the air to feed what is going. It was better in Egypt. The Bible said they kept murmuring and complaining against Aaron and Moses all the while but the problem is this they missed it they didn't understand that this was a strategic part of God taking them to the promised land because Deuteronomy 8 God said this the whole purpose I took you through that it said was to prove you to test you to see what was in your heart. And if you would trust me. See they had been in Egyptian bondage for years. They had been under the wrong mindsets. The wrong mentalities. Notice the first thing they said. It was better back in Egypt. Look how quick they were to revert back to old ways. And he said, I took you through the wilderness and the whole purpose was not to destroy you, but to create in you a dependency and a trust in me so that now you know, I'm going to preach right here, that now you know the people that I took you from are not your source. The people that I separated you from is not your provider. The place that I took you out of was never meant for you to stay. I'm trying to get you to understand that I am your source. I am your provider. I am your strength. I am your help and I am your hope. And I'm telling you, God is speaking to people this morning. No, 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 no. It wasn't the devil. It was God that cut it off. It was God that severed it. It was God that broke the chain because he was tired of you depending on them for what you can only get from him. Understand, I must make a distinction before I go on. There's a difference between trials and chastening. Ooh, yes. Uh-huh. Because, see, God will use trials and testing to mold you, to shape you, to prepare you, and even build you. But, but, but see, then there's chastening that's totally designed to correct you or discipline you. See, Hebrews puts it like this. Despise not the chastening 
of the Lord or the correction or the spanking of the Lord. Can I use that term? <laughs> Nor be discouraged. Listen, when you are rebuked by him for whom the Lord loves, he chastened. And listen to this. And scourge every son whom he received. Oh, I was about to say something. This sound like, like the father spanks a little bit. Said he scourged. But see, here's my point is this. See, what, what are you talking about? Because see, I need you to understand this. This is why it's important to have wisdom about what you're going through. Because I don't want you celebrating a trial when, when it's really chastening. And, and, and you have to ask God, what am I really going through? Because, because there's two different response for a trial and chastening. See, the Bible said my response to chastening is to rejoice. But your, I mean, to, to, to trials is rejoice. But your, your response to chastening and correction is repentance. Because that comes as a direct result of rebellion and disobedience. He brings chastening to correct rebellion and disobedience. But before you start jumping and shouting, I first have to say, uh-oh, is this trial or is this chastening? Because if it's chastening, I don't rejoice first. I repent. And once I repent, then I can rejoice. But I first must get back. Ooh, we don't like this stuff in church. The purpose of trials. What are the products of trials? What can it produce in our life? Are you ready? Let me give you a few. Number one, notice what James said. It said, knowing that the trying of your faith, it produces the first thing. Notice what it says is patience. Now, when it talks about patience, it's not a passive acceptance of circumstances. Eh, it's just... Well, is this going to be? Oh, no, 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 no. That's not what it's talking about. And what it's saying is it, it's a posture and how we are waiting while we're going through the trial. Listen to what it, what it means in the Greek. It means, listen to this, to remain, to abide, the ability to exhibit steadfastness and constancy in the face of formidable difficulty. Listen to this next definition. Remain in one spot. Keep your position. Resolve to maintain. This is the one that, that just, ooh, yes. Maintain, resolve to maintain territory that has been gained like the military who's facing a battle. In other words, it produces, it said, when we're going through trials, my response and what it produces should be a patience that I am steadfast that I've made up my mind that I'm not going anywhere. And when it talked about, watch this, that, that, that do not give up territory that you have gained. In other words, I've come, God has brought me too far. God has been too good to me. I'm not where I used to be. I may not be where I want to be, but God has brought me way up too far. He's been too good to me. He's blessed me too much to get here 
and allow this situation to take me back there. He's been too good to bring me here for me to start staggering back into old ways and old mindset. But he said, when you start facing those struggles, you have to make up your mind that I'm not giving up the territory that God has given to me. I'm not giving up the territory that I've obtained in my mind. I used to have turmoil. Now I've got peace. I used to be in a mess. Now I've got comfort. I'm not letting you, I'm not letting them, I'm not letting it, I'm not letting the devil rob me from my peace and my joy to get me off track. But I'm going to hold fast to my faith. Faith looks forward, doubt looks around, but I'm here to declare to you that if you'll hold your peace, if you'll be patient, the Bible said this light affliction is only for a little while, but it's working for you a more and exceeding inter- eternal weight of glory. In other words, every trial have a season. It's a beginning time and it's an ending time. You just hold on and know that God has already set the time that the trial is over. Ready to hear God say court is adjourned. Number two, it produces number one patience. Notice the next thing. He said, let patience have his perfect work. Watch this. That you may be, in, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. The Amplified says that you may be people perfectly and fully developed with no defects, lacking nothing. Notice the word perfect does not mean sinless and without, without fault. But that word perfect actually is a word that means maturity. In other words, trials build in you a spiritual maturity. Hebrews chapter 5, remember the writer was addressing a group of Jewish believers and he said this, he goes, by now. He said, by now you ought to be teachers. By now you should be further along. You've been in church all these years. By now you should be teaching others. You should be discipling others. You should be leading others. He said, but, 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 but you're still a babe. And the problem with that is you got to understand that God never meant for us to say a prayer at the altar and stop there. But the goal of a relationship with Jesus is always moving towards spiritual maturity. It's moving us forward. It's not an, it, listen, I'm glad that you confessed him as Lord. I'm glad that you surrendered your life, but you just started. That's where it begins. Now I get in fellowship. Now I get in relationship. Now I get in discipleship. I connect myself with people and I get in discipleship environments so, uh, so it can help me to begin to mature and move towards spiritual maturity. But the Bible said this is what their problem was. They were spiritually immature. And I want to tell you this. Spiritual maturity doesn't come as a result of you being in church for years. There's a lot of people that's been in church for 40 years and they're still spiritually immature. Oh, yes. I, well, 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 you know, I've been, I've been serving the Lord for 40 years. Good. I've been in church for 20 years. Well, has church been in you? Has Jesus been in you? I've read the Bible, you know, all the way through 30 times. That's good. You read the Bible through. Has the Bible read you through? I don't care about how many scriptures you can quote. Show me how many scriptures you can live. That's a sign of spiritual maturity. I don't care about any of that. 
I'm not trying to be ugly, but we got to help people understand that I've been in church. I know, no, I know the Lord. Listen, let me tell you something. You, you think you know the Lord. That's what maturity is. He continues to reveal himself. None of us know the totality of God. We don't have the capacity to that. He's always revealing himself more and more. And the moment you think that you have arrived, you're in a wrong place. We will always be students growing. Don't matter your position. Don't matter your title. Don't matter where you are. I don't care how many many conferences you go to, how many books you read, how many titles you have beside your name. The goal of every believer is always to move towards spiritual maturity and he said the way that it happens is when you begin to understand how to exercise or be trained as skillfully the word of God in your life in other words when you are mature when you begin to walk in maturity the Bible the word of God becomes your priority and it becomes your first response and not the last resort he said they didn't know how to use the word of God for life so when it comes to issues and it comes to struggles the first thing I do is Well, this is what I feel, and this is what I think, and this is what I know. Well, she said, well, he said, or they said, or that. What about what did God say? What about what did the Word say? What does the Holy Spirit say? What is the heart of God? But no, we get in our feelings. We get in all of our stuff. We're venting everywhere. We're venting to everybody, venting on social media, making jabs and talking in our attempt to be spiritual. But we know what we're doing. That's immaturity. Cut all that foolish out. It's time for the church to grow up. It's time for us to get our spirits right and quit all this crazy. What's wrong with you? Just preaching the gospel this morning. But we need to grow up and set an example for a dying world that needs to know Jesus. It's enough foolishness in the world. We don't need it up in the church. We need to set the example. We need to love each other. We need to treat each other right. I'm going to show you what maturity looks like. Bless those that curse you. Do good to those that that hate you. Pray for those that despitefully and use and persecute you. That's what maturity is. That's what serving God is. That's what loving Jesus is all about. Come on. Come on. Can the real saints stand up? Can the real Christians say amen? It's too much. Too many people are lost and on their way to hell. We don't have time for foolishness. The Bible talks about busybodies, busybodies, just stuff. Paul had to talk about that stuff. But see, I've learned if you keep your mind on kingdom business and your father's business, you don't have to worry about everybody else's business. Come on. Can I get a big amen right there? I'm not angry. I'm passionate. Because I want to see a, I want a city want see a city one to Jesus. I want people to know the truth. I want people to see what Christ is really like, and we are His representatives. Let me give you a couple more, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna see the landing strip. Notice this. Oh, let me see, let me give you this one. Purification. Ooh. Peter said, "Beloved, don't think it strange concerning the fiery trial." The which is to try you as though something strange happened to you. He said, don't think this is strange. This is the norm. This is, this is part, of, 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 of part, part of the whole deal. But notice he, he, he put an adjective on there. He said a fiery trial. Whew. 
a fiery trial. Proverbs 7 and 3 says, The refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the hearts. What this is a picture of is the goldsmith or the metalsmith who would take gold and would place it in a furnace. And he would place it in that furnace under hot, very hot temperatures to it be, to, until it became a liquid state. And when it become liquid, watch this, under the heat and under the fire, all the dross or the impurities would rise to the top. It's something about when you get in a fiery trial. It would bring all the impurities to the top. And once the impurities rose, the goldsmith, watch this, he would take it and scrape it off. Watch this. Here was the test. After he scraped it off, he would look down into the pot. And if he could see his reflection in the gold, he said, I can take it out now. In other words, I'm going to tell you, fiery trials will come to our life to bring purification, bring stuff up out of you, bring, oh God, messed up character out of you, bring that negative thinking, those jacked up agendas and all the stuff inside of us. Me too. I'm not pointing. Me too. Me too. Things inside of us. Sometimes it's only when you get in it, you didn't know you had it in you yourself, but you got it. You're like, ooh, that's me. Ooh, oh Lord. Oh God. Oh God. And stuff starts coming out. Stuff starts coming to the surface. But notice once again, God is not trying to hurt us. God is not trying to bring us down. But he's looking for a people that when he look at his, oh God, their life, he can see his reflection. I don't want anything in your life that's tainting my image in you. Good God. I don't want anything on you that can't help me see clearly who I created you to be. Because we were made in his image, but our character flaws and issues and junk have a tendency to to cover up who he is in us so he allows us to go through the furnace of affliction to remove the dross of, of issues so he can see us for who he has called us to be. Fiery trial. Fiery trials will burn things out of you and it will also burn things off of you. I, was, I, I read back through the book of Daniel and I, I saw something. And I, I mean, it was amazing. Do you remember the Bible said, watch this. Do you know they were bound, the scripture said? And they threw them into the fire, bound. They bound them up. Tied up. They were in bondage before they were thrown into the fire. But the Bible said that when the king looked down, he said, wait a minute. That's southern for wait a minute compound word got to grow I got time wait a minute wait a minute didn't I just th what wasn't there three people that we threw in there and weren't they bound up and they said yes he said but there's a problem when I look in there now I see four men loosed walking around and one looked like the son of God notice what he said they were bound thrown down but when he looked again, they were loose, standing up.
good God. In other words, a fiery trial will not just burn things out of you. It will break things off. They were bound until they got in the fire. They were tied up till they got in the fire. And once they got into the fire, it broke off habits. It broke off struggles. It broke off issues. It broke off things that were trying to hold them back. But what I love about this, here's the point. Isn't it amazing that even when I'm in a fiery trial, I can still be in his presence because he's, oh, you didn't catch that. Jesus was with them the whole time. Trials can come also as a form and God will use them as a time, watch this, of transition. I want to encourage you. Listen to me. For all of us, God's got more. Man, I, I don't know how much we can say it and preach it because we're passionate about it. I don't think you go to a service without us telling you this every week. It's because we believe it wholeheartedly that there's more. There's more that God wants to do in your life and in your marriage and in your family and in our young people. And and, and we say it every week because we're not going to settle and we're not going to hold back. But there's more for you. And I I want to show you something. Because sometimes God will use trials as a means of transition. In other words, He's ready to take you to another level. He's ready to take you to another level, a new anointing, a new season in your life. You've been crying out for more. You've been asking for more. You've been praying for more. You've been believing for more. But watch this. What do you mean? I want you to consider this. If Joseph would have never been thrown in the pit, he would have never met the Ishmaelites. If he'd have never met the Ishmaelites, he'd have never been in Egypt. If he never went to Egypt, he would have never been in Potiphar's house. And if he never been in Potiphar's house, he would have never met Potiphar's wife. And if he'd have never met Potiphar's wife, he would never have been falsely accused and thrown in prison. But if he was never thrown in prison, I wrote all this down. He would have never met the butler and the baker. And if he never met them, he would never have been forgotten nor met by Pharaoh, which was the ultimate place that God used him to fulfill his plan and purpose. Listen to that. But all of that sound like the fire of the aspen, the avalanche of the aspen, the flood of the aspen, but all the while, it was a trial of transition. Because the Bible said that Joseph, he kept the right spirit, he kept the right heart, and the Bible said, and the Lord was with him all the way. But it was through all of those things that he went through that were tough, that were hard. And listen, I even hate to throw this out here. That didn't happen from Monday to Friday. It was about 13 years. But still, God is faithful to what he promised you. (laughs) I said he's faithful to what he's promised you. 
Don't you get discouraged. Don't you get frustrated. Don't you get mad at God because it hadn't happened when you thought it should happen and how it should happen and when it should happen. His timing is always perfect. So as you stand to your feet, I'm going to give you the last point, which is the promise of these trials. Because God put it like this. He said in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there has no temptation, no trial regarded as enticing to sin, no matter how it comes or where it leads, has overtaken you and laid hold on you that is not common to man. No temptation or trial has come to you, listen to these words, that is beyond human resistance and that is not adjusted, I love this, and adapted and belonging to human experience as such as as man can bear. But God is faithful to his word and to his compassionate nature and he can be trusted not to let you be tempted or tried beyond your ability and strength of resistance and power to endure. But with the temptation, he will always provide the way out, the means of escape to a landing place. Listen, that you may be capable, I love this, and strong and powerful to bear up under it patiently. What grabbed me about this is when he said this right here. I won't allow you to be tried beyond your ability and strength of resistance and power to endure. You know what he's saying? Before I ever allowed it, before you ever stepped into it, he said, I assessed the whole situation. I looked at it left and right, up and down, in and out. And I said, before I allowed it to happen or you to go through it, I looked at it and I looked at you and I said, it's tough, it's strong, it's going to be a fight. But what I put in you is greater than what that's going to do to you. He said, I'm too faithful and love you too much to let you endure anything that's going to crush you and take you out of here. I'm not saying it don't, it won't feel like it at times. I'm not saying it don't feel like it's, it's, it's about to break you. But he said, I'll never allow you to walk into anything that I didn't give you the capacity to endure. I want to tell you this morning, you're stronger than you think you are. <laughs> you're bigger on the inside than you think you are. Oh, there's, there's more than meets the eye and still the transformer line. You're God's man. You're God's woman. You're God's chosen. And God knows what he's promised you and what he's prophesied over your life and what he's told you and promised you he would do. And he is not a man that he should lie. He is faithful to fulfill it and perform it. So wherever God has placed you and planted you and brought you to, don't you draw back on that territory. You stand patiently and endure and know that if God allowed it because he sees what's in me and my capacity is greater. 
than my circumstance. You're going to make it. And you're not just going to make it barely and make it struggling. Because the Bible said you're coming out into a wealthy place. You're coming out into a higher place. Joe said, though he knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I shall come forth as pure gold. I shall, there it is, pure gold. He's going to see his reflection in your life like never before. And if you believe that this morning, I need some people in here. I need some trees to start praising God. Come on, you're going to get up in your spirit right now. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were blessed.